this is Steve Balton, and you are here on my turning point. This week's guest is French electronic artist Madion. A few weeks after he played the Shrine, just before the holidays, we went and visited him in his house. What a pleasure to talk with him about Daft Punk and his new upcoming tour and a lot of other stuff. Hope you enjoy the show. So for you, what would be, and it's such a funny thing because like, you know, we just did one, I was telling you, we came from Taylor Hawkins' house, right? Mm -hmm. And he had like four or five of them. What's interesting is I would imagine you could pick on one day, you would pick a turning point. Mm-hmm. And then another day you would be like, oh no, but that was a more interesting one. You know, I feel like they can kind of change almost. They definitely can. And I also think that some of them have the intuition that they're going to prove themselves to be turning point later, but they haven't demonstrated that impact yet. Interesting. So, so what would be one that you would pick? I mean, you can go with, it's funny because like Taylor did a series of them. So if mm-hmm. you wanted to pick one that like you feel like is intuition that will be a turning point okay, or a let, turning let, point, let, yeah. Let me get a couple then. Some that are were definitely turning points where one was a, uh, turning on the TV when I was 10 and seeing a documentary about Daft Punk and having this incredible feeling of, of fascination and feeling like all of my, like, um, the, the, the scope of my artistic impulses could be contained within a musical project. It was like, I love that I was introduced to them not through just music, but also through their like movie and their videos and their visualization and the way they interacted with the world, like beyond just putting out songs. So, so, uh, so that was obviously very influential. Um, the day that I quit school when I turned 16 and decided that I had no room to fail at this and that I had to make it work somehow was definitely significant. And out of more recent ones, I think probably just deciding to on a whim one day move to America and Los Angeles. I, I just, I was just there for a show and, and I, I, I felt like I needed to shake my life up somewhat and I started visiting homes and found this place within like hours of, deci- of having the thought of doing that. And, uh, and, uh, and I think over years maybe it'll prove itself to be a turning point in the way that I construct my personal life and professional life and such. So, so, so we'll see. Where was the show that you had in LA? Uh, I forgot. It was like it was between. It was a uh, not a very like not the most interesting show. It was like um, some DJ set somewhere, and it was during that era in after Shelter, but before I started this new album campaign. When I was just working away on trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, and there were a couple of shows here and there, but I felt a little unfulfilled creatively, I guess, because I I wasn't yet able to show what I was imagining. That's such an interesting thing, though, because I, I think that I've always been a big believer mm-hmm. in how environment affects recording. And it's yeah. funny, I mean, you look at this you know, view and you know, sort of the history that exists up in this canyon and everything, too. Yeah. It's funny, when you go back now and listen to Good Faith, do you hear the, the L.A. influence? Oh, in- absolutely. I, I also hear, so I made a conscious decision of traveling a lot and, and making sure that the album would somehow feel lived in, I guess, was, was what I was going for. And so I, I, I went to Norway for a couple of months with, with, with friends and people that I work with and, and, and trekked across America in a, in a car and just, just went on a road trip trying to find inspiring places to shoot videos and, and write lyrics and, and just, just to have all of these experiences that were very environmental. Um, and, um, and, uh, and they've informed it immensely. And what I love about it is that I hear all those sounds and they like trigger very, very specific memories and very, very specific images. And it's not so much about fiction. I guess my work before was very much about imagination. And now it's a, it feels more lived in, yeah, more experienced. Oh, I like that. 
Well, it's such an interesting thing too, because I, I think, you know, as I talk about the artists all the time, when you're making a record, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to gain perspective on it because you're in the midst of it mm -hmm. and you're putting it together and you're living in these songs at this moment. Yeah. So it's interesting. So when you go back and hear the songs on Good Faith, are there specific instances you hear of places, whether it's Los Angeles or Norway or whatever, mm -hmm. that they almost surprise you because it's like you didn't realize how much they infiltrated the sound at that time? Absolutely. And th so that, that's definitely true. Uh, I, I, th those moments, um, both in terms of location and, and, and my emotional disposition, I guess, it, it's, it's, it's hard to realize um, um, what period of your life you're living in as you're living it. So it's, 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 I feel like sometimes I'm touched uh, listening back to songs I wrote at a certain time and realizing what they were truly about because I had the time to work out things about myself and make sense of certain emotions. And so that, that song that was um, a naive uh, burst and a reflection of a feeling uh, is, is now like, I guess, illuminated by, by, by a new light and, and means something, something more um, complete than it was when it was just an idea. Well, can you give me an example of like one or two songs on there that maybe, without getting too personal, yeah. that just have kind of changed in meaning for you? Or I, you? Yeah, yeah. Like there was, there's this song "Be Fine," and uh, and I guess I, I I wrote it originally. I mean, it, it went through a couple of versions, but at one point it was about this joy that I felt that that I thought was gonna last forever, and that was. Um, unsustainable and uh, and so I I lost that joy and I found it really difficult to continue working on that song I feel like I was lying you know uh, writing a celebratory song whilst like you know depressed was was not pleasant and then eventually I, I kind of rewrote some of it to reflect that reflect the danger and the unsustainability of that particular uh, flavor of joy I was experiencing and kind of include some of that danger um, so 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 yeah. I guess I guess as I went on like a kind of personal path, I, I tried to make sure that I updated some of the material to 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 reflect those those that understanding. Well, you know, it's funny too because I think that when you look back on it now, listening to this record, mm -hmm. are you able to get sort of more in the thought process? Thought process. I can't speak now, <laughs> dude. It's like the end of the year. I'm ready for oh, the I year to be. You. Yeah. I just, I've, but, I've just done 40 shows in two months and yeah. Oh, I know. It's uh, yeah. But in the thought process of making the decision to move to LA, because it's funny, it's one of those things that, I mean, I had a very similar experience moving to New York where mm -hmm. I just happened to be there and I was supposed to go to school someplace else. And I was like, did I want to go to school there? And I got to New York and I'm like, oh, fuck this. I want to go to New York now instead. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, and it turned out to be a right move. And I, I am a very firm believer that gut instinct Mm -hmm. is always the right way to follow. So for you, but it's funny because then you look back on it and kind of get a better understanding of like, okay, maybe now. So when you go back and hear it, like, have you thought more about the decision to move to LA and what it was that at that time just motivated you? Like LA was the place to make this move? I think that I, I, I'm a, I'm, I think there's a number of parallel possibilities that could have unfolded. Uh, but the most important thing for me was to not... Uh, be content with the status quo of like living with my parents in a cocoon, being safe. Like I wanted something different to happen, and it turned out to be LA. But I don't think it was necessarily like meant to be or destined or whatever. It's just it could have been any other place. It could have been any other decision. I just needed a shakeup or something to happen. Originally, I wanted to move to New York for what it's worth, and it could have been, it could have taken so many different forms. But I'm glad that something happened to clearly like um, make this a discrete chapter in my life. And, uh, and, and so I listen to the album and, I'm, and sometimes I'm curious, like what version of this album would have unfolded if it, uh, 
if I had decided to move to New York instead, or if I had decided to follow some of my other gut instinct intuition that you know were fleeting. I guess this one I acted on quickly enough for it to realize, but I'm, I wish I could listen to all of the other to good faith uh, New York and good faith Australia and good faith France and like <laughs> all of those possibilities and contrast them because I'm sure they would be each infused with the DNAs of those places. They would be, and it's fascinating. And unfortunately, because I, I think it'd be cool to hear them as well. But you realize, like, if you were to make the next record in New York mm-hmm. and the one after that in Australia, it would not be the same record. Absolutely, because because it's like it's a place meeting an age as well, and meeting a point in your life, you know. So, like your early to mid twenties are like a uh, a time of um, introspection and and and. and Building of identity and, and, and that identity is going to be so informed by your environment during that time. And so, so yeah, you can't just simulate those alternative albums just by, uh, if I moved to more to New York, I would not make Good Faith New York. I would make my third album, New York. Which might be interesting to hear as well. But yeah, yeah. it's funny when you br- took the stuff on the road, because I know you just did like the two sold out shows at the Shrine and everything. Yeah. And like you said, you did 40 shows in two months. Yeah, something like which that. Which was a brutal schedule. When you, do, when you do that schedule, though, it's interesting because when you're playing this stuff, are you finding that I think that what happens is, you know, it's funny because I tend to look away, so then I'm not talking to the microphone, but <laughs> talking to the microphone, are you finding that what happens is as you're playing this stuff live, because it is lived in, because it's more built on your personal experience versus mm-hmm. imagination, it's resonating differently with fans. There's a deeper connection because they hear that sort of sense of adventure in it versus simply, oh, okay, this sounds cool. Yeah, I think so too. Like I, 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 I really do. I, I realized um, the first time I had that experience of seeing people like sing along and resonate with a song for its meaning beyond just its like sonic quality was with uh, Shelter, which was the song I did with my friend Porter a few years back. And uh, and so it's a song we wrote and I sang on and, and I remember like it was the first time I I had like a single that was that I had like written lyrics to. And uh, and you know, a lot of people they don't necessarily like investigate those lyrics very much, but the one that did and that found something to to cherish about them when I when I saw that when I heard them talk about about the song, and when I saw them, you know, react to it live, I felt something more profound than I than I normally did just playing a song that people were dancing to, I guess, or having fun with. And so that definitely like made me want to uh, create that feeling um, um, across the rest of my upcoming discography. So so yeah, I I I do feel that I do notice people um, latching onto things that I hope they latched on they latch onto, and uh, and uh, and that we. We share something. I love when people misunderstand songs too. I love when people mishear lyrics and hear a better lyric. I love when I love when people uh, tell me that you know give me their interpretation, which is clearly a projection of their own experiences, and it's nothing like I lived or like what I meant to communicate. But I feel like that's okay. It's like a collaboration, you know, between uh, between the whoever's listening and, and I, and uh, and sometimes that that gets way more beautiful than I intended. So. Oh no, people mishear all the time and I I talk about this with artists all the time. I mean, the mark of great songwriting Mm -hmm. is for it to be universal so people can put their own things in it. But now I am curious, what is the best rewritten lyric that someone's ever had for your songs and then you're like, all right, you know what? That's better than what I had. I'm going to use that going forward. Well, that's a good, uh, I think uh, in uh, 
be fine. I wrote it down actually. There's a, there's a, there's. I don't know it out of, of the top of my head. Uh, there's also there's one song that I have called Beings from the last album, where the actual lyric is "We'll become who we meant to be." So it's a song about intention. Some people mishear it as "We'll become who we are meant to be." So it's a song about destiny, which is like practically the opposite. And I equally meet people that like understood it as one or the other. And uh, and uh, and I'm fine with both now. You know, I used to be really uh, dedicated to my, to what I try to communicate originally. And now I'm like, if people find it beautiful and relatable in its alternative form, then I'm fine. I'm fine with that version too. Well, that's interesting. So when you took this new album on the road and you're playing these songs mm-hmm. live, and people have this response, and you're seeing them sing along, and I think that's one of the really cool things that happens today is you release an album, right? And mm-hmm. you know, back in the day. There was a single that was driven, and people would respond to that. Yeah. And now, because everything comes out simultaneously, they can pick the songs. Yeah. So, were there songs from Good Faith that you were kind of surprised by how much the audience responded to them? Oh yeah, totally. I so the album came out like a couple of weeks into the tour. So there were songs I was playing live that nobody had heard outside of the show. And then over the course of the tour, like um, the album came out, people started listening to it and becoming more familiar with them. And so more and more people sang along. Uh, and by the end of the tour. Uh, one thing that that blew my mind was specifically the song like "Heavy with Hoping," which I always thought was a, a kind of challenging deep cut. It's meant to be like a really traditional ballad, and 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 the vocal is processed. Amazing vocal performance by Audra May. Uh, the vocal is is processed to sound kind of like a corrupted, like lost memory of an old song that has been revived by machines, kind of. And uh, and and so I didn't expect people to. Connect with it and sing along and like know it and 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 and, um, and give it this life, especially because it's a song that took a while to come together. So so like, it's nice when it feels like you get to hit restart on a song's life cycle after I've had time to digest it and get over it myself. Suddenly the world like, you know, people hear it and make it their own and like, it feels alive again. That's beautiful. So it's interesting when you go back then and can you sort of step out of it for a minute because like you said it took a while to come together. Yeah. So you're in the midst of it it's kind of hard to do that. Mm-hmm. But then when you hear the audience singing along can you kind of step back and and get almost get it from their perspective so you can appreciate because the thing is too every artist is a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Every artist in the history of the world when you make a song and you go back and you listen to it and you're like, but I could have done that better. Oh, yeah. oh if I would have just done this, you know. So of course it's hard for you to listen to it with, you know, unfiltered ears, but when you hear it, can you sort of appreciate what it is they see in it and be like, oh, okay, this is cool. I can now appreciate it. Like you get it, you see it through their eyes. I, I, yeah, it definitely helps in that. But I, I am pretty unforgiving of myself. The The other day I was at a hotel and I heard uh, in the hotel lobby in the distance a song quietly and I was like, are the engineering on, I don't know what that song is, but the engineering is terrible. Those transients are too loud. And then I, I started listening like carefully and recognized that it's one of my own songs <laughs> from the from my first album. <laughs> and, and and so so even without the, the context of being self-depreciating, I objectively didn't like my own work. <laughs> well, not that I didn't like it, but I could find flaws in it that, that see, bothered it's, me. It's funny you say that because I remember once, and it's funny because like I, I see Ashley over there kind of laughing as you're telling the story, <laughs> but I remember interviewing Alison Mosshart from The Kills mm-hmm. and Dead Weather, and she was like telling the story about being in a bar and hearing the song and being like, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. Or, like That sounds like something I would do. And then realizing <laughs> a minute and a half into it, it was one of her songs. Yeah. I think as an artist, you, you, you do like trainers, you get so far away from your music mm-hmm. that it's like, it's also like you say, it's a context thing. Yeah, very much. And and so when you're like hit in the face with it, like without 
expectations the way that people you know listen to music where they encounter it um, is uh, is always an interesting one I, I do I do enjoy doing the show and seeing um, people believe in the song more than I ever could and then I feel empowered and then I do believe it like when I'm on stage all I think about is um, being the, my ideal version of what being Marian is I guess and so I, I need to feel and trust that confidence that they are giving me and enjoy it. And so I enjoy my music the most on stage, for sure. Which makes sense, because of course you're getting that positive feedback and reinforcement. Yeah, and also I get, I feel like I have a responsibility to embody it. There's no room for doubt and challenging it. I'm not going to be able to change the song, you know, on the spot. So I need to, I need to deliver that confidence. And so there's like, it feels like I'm playing a character of the most resilient and confident version of Madian, and that's fun. That's so interesting, though. So, because as you say, you're playing that character. Mm-hmm. Are you able to then take that character off the stage and, and you know keep it with you and keep it sort of uh, you know keep that confidence because now you've imbued that spirit. Uh, no, I don't. I don't take it away. It's, it's the reward, though. It's like I, I I know that it's the destination. When I start working on a song, I, I try to think about what life it may have, and I, you know when it's just an idea, it may disappear. But once it's further along, uh, far along enough that, that, that I know it's going to be released at some point. And I, I try to think about, okay, how, how is that going to make me feel on stage? How, which, uh, how is it going like, to empower me? I, what, what emotion will, will course through my vein as I'm sitting there in front of an audience with that type of music playing? And, um, and, uh, and it's a good compass to know where to take the song, you know? If I feel like something's a little dull or doesn't make me... Doesn't make me uh, um, impatient to perform it, then I, 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 I know I'm on the wrong track. So even though I don't actually feel that confidence, knowing the promise of that ulterior uh, confidence is, is, is driving the energy of working on the song. It's interesting. I want to go back to something you said too about you know, doing shelter with your friend Porter. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think you know, this is one of the things that fascinates me. And, and you know, growing up in LA, like I said, I was just at Taylor Hawkins' house. We were talking about like the old scene in the 80s here, mm-hmm. like Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers and yeah. all that. People always like to think there's a, a sort of competition. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is most musicians are more supportive of each other mm-hmm. than the average people are of, you know, like their other coworkers. You know, there's a great camaraderie that exists in music. So, you know, talk about it's funny because since most artists are such perfectionists, you know, and it becomes hard to get sort of your own sort of, you know, like get out of your own way in a sense because you're like, I could do this better, I could mm-hmm. do that. How important is it to have people that you come up with that you both trust and also that go through similar experiences so you could sort of, when you say, oh, I wish I would have done this different or whatever, you're going through similar people who've had the exact same experience of like, dude, yeah, I just made this record, which was a number one hit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would have done this differently or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's so good to have that perspective and like proximity to other creative is, is one of the appeal, I guess, of, of, of living here now. But uh, I think specifically with Porter, it's quite different because we met as children. We grew up together and we honed our skills together. And honestly, in the first couple of years of us meeting when we were like, 12 and 14 or something we were more rivals than friends you know and uh, we were really trying to outdo each other and then and um and then i guess we we processed that into friendship which is beautiful and um but there's not i i'm 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 shy i don't like showing my music i don't like confronting it i don't want it to get corrupted because i feel like maybe i'm easy to influence and i don't want to uh, uh have other people's um ambitions become mine out of mimetism you know, and so sometimes when by being protective, I, I and, and not showing music to anybody, I, I, I ensure that I don't deviate course 
And um, Porter has many, many qualities, but one, one of the ones that I appreciate the most is uh, his uh, uncompromising commitment to vision for his own work, obviously, but, but that's something that he always, like, he, he, he was a big supporter of Good Faith over the course of me making it, and he always put me back on track. When I sent him demos that where I was veering a little off course, he reminded me what I was trying to do originally and, and why, and why it mattered. And, uh, and when I challenged it and made it evolve in the right direction, it would vindicate me. And, and, um, and yeah, and that camaraderie is like, it's, it's more than camaraderie, honestly. It's like, it's pretty profound. Like, I, I, I don't think I could make music or make that album specifically without it going through Porter's brain in one way or another. Um, and, uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I feel like it works the other way too. Like, like we send each other demos and, and ideas and it's a ritual. It's not casual, <laughs> almost. It's, it's like, we'll sit and we'll, 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 we'll be very analytical and we'll try to think of the most helpful thing we can contribute in our comments and sometimes it's just reassurance that it's good and sometimes it's like shining a light that we know the other needs to see and and it's always Paul is always right basically well mostly yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a but uh, but uh, and so 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 that's great but but I don't I don't have that that particular relationship with with that many other artists honestly um, and uh, and uh, and I and I and I wish I did you know but I, I try to I try to be careful like 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 um, because I think if there's if the sense of community is too tightly knit, maybe people become too similar, and so um, you want to find that right balance between everybody supporting each other, but supporting their own thing, and not necessarily depending on each other too much, and and collaborating to the point of a of a, of of um, you know. Um, Identity maybe getting a little bit lost, so so I think it's 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 something just to think, consider and strategize. <laughs> but uh, well, it's interesting too because I'm, first of all, I, I know from a writing standpoint, mm-hmm. like sometimes it's really good to step out of your own head, yeah. and look at someone else's work. So it's interesting for both of you. Then, do you feel like looking at the other person's work gives you better perspective into your own work? Yeah, absolutely. And I try to. And now I'm now that I'm a little bit older, I get to manage my feelings more like we, we definitely have a thing where because I mean I'm such a fan of his work and so when he sends me really good demos sometimes I, I when I was younger perhaps I would feel um, threatened or jealous or, or, or like or, or, or so impressed that it was like um, freezing me and making me unable to create and now now I don't feel that I just feel delight and excitement and I, like I, I've, I've processed those other emotions I think and um but uh, sorry, I missed the question. I get on a tangent. What was the question? Oh no, I was just asking if you feel like, and it's funny because you kind of answered it in a way okay. though. But I was asking about if you feel like from looking at each other's work, yeah. it gives you a better perspective into your oh, own. Yeah, because yeah, sometimes, yeah, no, sure. you know, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no. So, 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 so then it does. I'm trying. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if if it's if I feel envy about the music and I'm like, oh, I wish I had made that. I'm trying to think, what do I like about it? And usually it's like, I like it because it's the work of somebody who's free, awesome, and I need to get inspired by that freedom. And so I try to make sure that I get that that it informs the way I make music, not specifically in terms of like, oh, I wish I had that compressor or that sound or whatever, but in terms of what it means, um, um, what it means, like almost like philosophically, like well, well, usually with things that impress or really touch me, they do so. Um, not just technically, but because they 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 say something about about um, where the artist is at in their life, and 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 so I, I, sometimes it means that uh, if if it feels it feels feels like I'm not I would never be able to write such a song like that, and maybe that like my life is not allowing me 
to be free enough to write music like that. And so then the change I need to make is in my life or in my perspective or something. So, yeah. Uh, and that's true, obviously, like w- within like fellow like colleagues, quote unquote, but also like in music that comes out, you know, like there are albums that just like are so amazing, they paralyze me. And then there are albums that are, and, and I try to make sure that I process that and I instead turn that into joy and inspiration. And I'm doing a better job of that. <laughs> Sure, and I mean it's funny. Well, what was the last record you heard that had that impact on you? That mm. that and it's funny because I know what you mean about the record like paralyzing you because you're like you can't do that. But at the same time, it is a funny thing. It also become can become inspirational. Mm-hmm. And like when you look at, for example, a record like Good Faith, which is very much a snapshot of where you are at this yeah. point in your life. Were there records that really inspired you in sort of? that same way of capturing the time in their life. And it's funny because it doesn't necessarily have to be similar musically. Yeah. And it could be like, it could be Bob Dylan doing something in the 60s mm-hmm. or it could be Joni Th- Mitchell Blue. It yeah, it's, it's, to answer the first question, the last album that paralyzed me is probably Bon Iver I.I. I was like thinking, oh, this is another plane of music. Like this is another level. It's like it's like when you are a child and looking at grown ups, and you're like, well, we humans, but they're like on a. It's something else that they're experiencing. It's that's the way I feel about it. It's like it's a grown up artist. It's amazing. Such a beautiful album. Uh, and then and then to the second question, um, which I totally missed again. What was it? It was basically if there are records that you really looked oh, yeah. at oh, yeah, that, yeah. that were inspirational in the I've, way they capture mm-hmm. a period in their life. That, so definitely. I realized basically after my first album that I my, all my favorite albums were artist albums rather than producer albums. They felt embodied. They felt like they are the human being that lived that made them. And so I'm a giant like Beatles fan. And they made so many classic albums in such close proximity. And so each of these albums definitely captured a few months, you know, and, a, and a, of, a, of a very, very unique... Um, personal and professional dynamic they had amongst themselves, and 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 relationship they had to the world, and and um, and uh, and I love that. I love that those that I can have a chronology of one of the most incredible stories, and uh, um, and and that I can pick a chapter, and that is like a sequence to their discography. And so I I was very conscious to make sure that I. Uh, resisted the temptation of influences that were not pertinent and that were gonna like deviate me off course and that I that original light that started with good faith was was gonna stay the same and 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 um because the album started with like a session in New York at the end of 2015 I booked a studio and I just got manically inspired I didn't sleep for days I just had the whole vision the colors the art direction the, the, the sounds the chords the palette just the method like the, the destination appeared to me so vividly and I didn't really deviate course like most of that destination is, in, is what the album is so I just had to fight 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 to make sure that that one moment and, and um, um, I, I preserved and because it, it, it was so bright for me it made me so happy to think about that I, I didn't want to just let it transform and so, and so yeah I was inspired by any album that similarly felt like they committed to what they were and they, they protected themselves. And the best way to do it is to do it quickly. And I didn't do it quickly, <laughs> but I try to still have that vibe of uh, coherence. Well, it's interesting for you because like you say, you, the best way to do it is do it quickly and you didn't do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because albums over time tend to morph quite a bit. It's like I talk about this, with, you know, I had a piece this morning on Forbes with the director and we were talking about, you know, when you make a documentary, mm-hmm. you go into it with an idea. Yeah. And then of course the people start telling their stories and the direct, you know, your documentary that's going to be about, you know, 
dog grooming in this case because mm-hmm. that'd be a friendship between four people. Yeah, and it's like the you know so this so how were you able to sort of you know keep that that vision, and and I mean how close is the good faith to the original destination that you had? I think. Um when, when the album released, Porter sent me a very, very beautiful email about that because he was such a fervent lover of the original vision, the original demos, and he went into details about what changed and why it was great that it changed. And so, uh, because, but I feel like the spirit stayed the same. And so that, what, what I'm happy about is that ultimately, like, I feel like I'm so thrilled when people love it, but also even if, if people didn't, it's okay because like all I cared about was making sure that what I saw still felt like it was printed onto onto an album forever and, and I think the soul of that original inspiration is definitely in that album what changed is certain techniques certain songwriting sensibilities certain processing the, the ways to manifest that is changed and, and I included a few more um, emotions and influences to make it less redundant and less and more more substantial. But like the, it's hot and 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 the like the first three, four, five songs like they, they that's they they I think really um, captured what I wanted to make and and so um, it, it it yeah it changed technically it never changed in spirit I don't think. What was the first song written and recorded for the album? Was there one song that? And the reason I ask is because oftentimes yeah. there will be a song mm-hmm. that becomes kind of a blueprint for a record. Yeah. Like you know that's sort of the jumping off point. I think I think probably um, I, I wrote a few like early Good Faith songs that didn't make it into Good Faith, but but I I sampled myself a lot so they did in various ways you know, and um, and some of which I'm, I may release later. But the the first one I think that I wrote that made it into the album in a similar form is Dream Dream Dream, which is the opening song in the album and the second single. And I remember um, really, really being happy with that one uh, because I, I, it, it evoked a color, it evoked uh, that, that, was, that, that I could feel even when I wasn't in the original mood of Good Faith. So even if I felt disconnected from Good Faith, if I pressed play on that particular song, I still could see it. So it felt like it wasn't just a vague memory being triggered. It was like there was something properly printed into that song that, that had that flavor to me. And, um, and so, so then I, I, I referenced it a lot in, in terms of comparing, making sure that it related to that song and the way that I wanted. And also what I liked about it is that I felt like it wasn't, um, that I, it was okay f- to, for me to wait to put it out. I, di- I didn't feel like the urgency, I didn't feel like it was reacting to the music that was out at the time. Cause I wrote it in like early 2016 maybe, I, 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 uh, something like that. And, um, and it came out in mid to late 2019, so a long time. And, uh, and, um, and I loved it all the same all, all through that time. And, I, and, I, and, I, and it, just, it, just, it was just what I wanted to express. So um, that was the blueprint, probably. See, it's such an interesting thing, too, because as you do this, right, and you become comfortable with it and you become excited about a record mm-hmm. and all this, then because your technique changed going into this record because you did things differently. Mm-hmm. I know for most artists, it's like you ask them what's their favorite song they've ever written, they're going to say the last one. Yeah. So there's that mentality of jumping ahead. Are you already thinking about can, how you can continue sort of building this momentum and using this? And mm-hmm. even though the record just came out, it's like, it's funny, like I'm friends with Paul from Coachella and I'm asking him, when do you start booking You know, the next year? And he's like, the day after it finishes. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, th- that's what I love about Good Face and the way I've been presenting it. And I hope the word doesn't come across as like pretentious, but like, um, like a, like an era 
of my career rather than an album. It's not like a marketing campaign that ends with an album coming out. For me, it's like a, a little tiny world that I want to explore thoroughly before I live it. And I don't want to live it. Like to me, the album is the start. I already have so many things like coming together next year that, that I think will continue to augment it. And, and, uh, and I just want to feel like I've exhausted and fully, <laughs> fully revealed that world and that original image before I can, before I can let myself move on. And uh, I think it's going to take a while. I feel like I'm still inside of it. I, I, I can see, uh, I can see it's, it's a country. And I've, uh, you know, it's like when you, you visit a country, you go to the capital for a week, you don't know where the country is, you know. So that's, that's where I've been. I've been to the capital for a week, but now I need to go down the other roads and, and, uh, and truly uh, get uh, what this, this vast, overwhelming place is about. That's my hope, anyway. And um, yeah, uh, can you give us any previews of some of the stuff that you have planned then for 2020, or is it too early? Um, I so the one the main thing is that I um, made the album uh, with almost no features, um, and so I sang, sing on almost all the songs, and I and I wrote all um, like all, yeah pretty much all of it, and I didn't include and I included like collaborators in the form of like musicians and choirs, and it was like a beautiful beautiful process, but not so much like other. Um, writers or singers, and and which is something that I had done before, and I guess it's because I wanted to reestablish what the Madian identity was, so that I could confidently collaborate with people again, knowing who I was and what I was about. So I think that's the next step: is that I'm putting out some versions of songs that already came out that that are recontextualized with new people being invited into them, uh, and then there's more like original music and. And more visual ways as well to reveal that world. So, and the show also is. I'm so. I have so much fun doing that show. I have more fun performing the Good Faith Live show than anything else in the world. It's my absolute favorite thing to do, and um, and I want to continue doing that show for a while. And so I want to keep it alive and 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 let it morph and change and evolve too. So I have a few things and I have a few destinations for the end game of this whole era, and I don't want to spoil it all, but. Uh, but it's funny because I'm I'm uh, allowing myself to have more to, to room for um, spontaneity and room for reaction and room for fortuitous meetings uh, because I was so protective of Marian before because I needed to make that original statement and now that the album's out and that it's out there I feel like I'm you know it's like when you're in a relationship and then you're maybe it ends and you're heartbroken and you're not letting yourself meet somebody new and then like there's a day where you're like open to the world throwing things your way and that's kind of how I feel I'm open to the world throwing things my way and uh and I'm yeah it's gonna be good I actually feel like that's a pretty good wrap up point but is there anything that you want to add I did not ask you know it's funny because the mm -hmm. one thing I will one of the turning points you mentioned as well was Daft Punk mm -hmm. and you have the Daft Punk turntable you have the Daft Punk thing on the wall I have a Daft Punk poster there okay I have a, I have a shrine to Daft Punk downstairs okay yeah I'm a fanboy like very very clearly alright so have you ever hung out with them or met them or I met one of them yeah uh and, uh, and it was great. I'm, I was I was so happy. But uh, yeah, so, but it's great to be a fan because it reminds me that um, being a fan of something can be really fun. And my dream is to create a project that is compelling enough that people can feel passionate and invested in it, and there's like substance to it. And you know, and, like with Daft Punk, I don't feel like marketed to. I feel like they're creating something um, that's just so rich that I can't help wanting to live inside of it. And that's the way I think about my project. Is my hope, my dream, of course, is to is to uh, uh, create something like to that level of compelling and, and 
yeah, I think it's important to stay a fan. I think a lot of, of artists, when they make a career out of it, they get a little bit content or jaded and they don't feel that, that, ad, that admiration and that infatuation anymore. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a cool thing to preserve. Oh, I think it's essential. And as I talk about with artists all the time, as soon as you stop being a fan, mm-hmm. it's time to go home. Yeah. Then, then you're done. Because then it. you've become too jaded. So now let me ask you, what was the last like big fan moment you had? Who was the last person you geeked out over? Um, that I met? Yeah. Um, I probably that one was one of the most recent. I, you know what? I was actually at an event uh, where Quincy Jones was speaking, and uh, and uh, and and it was a pretty like small comedy, so you could, like everybody could meet him, right? You just like people waited in line to take pictures, and I, I was like, should I do it? Should I not? And somebody next to me said, uh, I want to meet him so badly, but I don't want to meet him like that. I want to meet him in a studio someday, and so I'm gonna go home now. And I was like, that's that's what I'm gonna do too. That's great. So um, so. All right, hope in the universe that I meet Quincy Jones somewhere more beautiful. Yeah, probably will. He's out a lot. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I, I've seen him out a lot. Yeah, and then uh, and then uh, and I want to meet the other Daft Punk. <laughs> Very bad. Cool. What do you want to add? I did not ask you about. Um, nothing. I think. Uh, um, if you have a listen to my album, maybe if you if you if you if you if you want, and uh, come check out my show and like all these things, I'm I'm quite bad at that. I hope I don't know I don't know what to say. I think I think we covered ground. I think we, we covered we a lot. Yeah. Do you know like do you, have you already set up 2020 tour plans? Yeah, a lot of it are in, in place, but nothing is announced yet. And I'm not allowed to uh, talk about it, so it's a bit of a shame, but it's okay. Okay, but that's all right. But but it is happening. Yeah, yeah. There'll, there'll be more. There'll be a lot more Good Faith Live. And, uh, cool. Sweet. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Mattione. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. with cancer, you're probably worried that your child is feeling scared, sad, or alone, when all you want is for them to just feel like a kid. Camp Kesem is a free week-long overnight camp for children ages 6 to 18 who have a parent facing cancer and was created for kids like yours to have a joyful and empowering summer. Kids have a blast together enjoying camp activities, surrounded by a compassionate community of friends. Register your child for a free life-changing adventure at kesem.org camp. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.